This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Renthal Street and Fly Racing. It's a little bit of a special Paddock Pass podcast World Superbike special because myself, Steve English, Charlie Hiscock, Gordon Ritchie, all in the room together. We haven't been able to do a podcast like this this year, but... Uh, it's like an outside broadcast. It is, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, the money's not quite like that, Charlie, but you know, we'll get there at some stage. Terrifying prospect from where I'm looking. But that's fine. <laughs> that's the cataracts, Gordo. Um, but <laughs> at, least, at least you're wearing clothes this time, Gordo. Right? That's yeah, the main I'm, thing. I don't have my pajamas on. As it is, though, we've obviously got a lot to talk about. We're going to make this pretty quick show because we've also got a rental street session with Superbike World Champion Top Rack Razgarioglu. But basically, we weren't able to get a show recorded after Catalonia. We're here in Portimao and we've got a race weekend this weekend and a fair bit to cover about where the championship is right I'm now. I'm confused. So are we talking about, this is a preview show, so we're talking about what's going to happen. Uh, if you want to put your neck on the line and talk about what's going to happen, you can do that, Charlie. I remember reading that in my contract. That was always about, my deal said that you're, I talked about things that had already happened. You're, you're an analyst, Charlie, so we'll talk about what's happened with you and we'll talk about the future with Gordo. <laughs> that sounds fair. I don't know what he's talking about, but it sounds fair. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get straight into it, because we've got a third of the season to go. We've got four rounds still remaining in the championship. Portimao, the three flyaways, and as it is, Gordo, after Catalonia, where we saw Alvaro have probably the best race weekend we've seen for him, obviously since 2019, whenever he was winning all the races at the start of the season. But but this was as complete a weekend as we saw from him, really, at any stage of World Superbikes. The tides turned completely. How the paddock feels about the championship and uh, where the season's going to, with the outcome of the season, has changed a lot. Yeah, it has. Amazing what one weekend can do because all year it's been looking like it's going to be in his favour. Then something happens. Three riders genuinely in it. The the points gap widening, shortening, widening, shortening. In Catalonia, it was quite significant that he just was untouchable. Short races, long races, he just he had enough. Even when his bike wasn't perfect in the, the 10 lap race, he still managed to get the win done. Um, so that's a bit of a worry, especially given all the experiences he had in 2019. How not to do that? They've already got filed away. And I'm sure they go and look at all those things every day and go, well, let's not do that. So that's the ominous thing. And it's also that Johnny is riding really well. Top Rack is riding really well. They're just not getting the the results that they want to. Now, it can completely change. We saw how many dramas we had at Portimao last year and it waxed and waned between two riders. So there's anything can happen. And the gap is significant. But the problem was the, the significance of the way things were done at Catalonia when it wasn't a nailed-on, guaranteed Ducati track. I mean, it, it was going to be good for them. But look at the other Ducatis as well. So that shows that the bike's working as well. The other Ducatis were pretty good in Catalonia. So, yeah, we're, you know, for the neutrals in the championship, I'm sure they'll be hoping that, you know, that doesn't work out that way this weekend. We all want to get to the end of the year, um, still with the championship intact, but Catalonia was pretty special. Yeah, I, I sort of agree, but I think Catalonia was always going to be nailed on for Alvaro. I mean, he had to ride the bike and he had to get the, bring it home and get the results, but that was the track that Jonathan and Top Rack were definitely fearing the most. That was the one where they thought, you know... 
for me, it was Most, I think, was probably more ominous, a track that he wasn't supposed to be do well at. He did really well at. And that, for me, was the first sign where you think, oh, this could be bad news. And I think you just have to look forward to the next, the rounds of where we're going. And at the end of the day, right, it comes down to a simple thing, and that is that Alvaro has a big advantage on the straights, and that's winning him races. And you look at the next four races, they've all got long straights. So it looks to me like, as James Tosland said, if Alvaro doesn't bring the championship home this year, it's going to be pretty embarrassing for him. Yeah, it's uh, and I think I think the majority of people are now thinking that. And even one round before, they weren't thinking that it was still long to go. Certainly, that's what I was writing, and it's what I totally believed. But what I thought would be the case is that they would the other two top riders would be able to hang on to the back of them and make attacks and stuff. That just didn't happen, and it wasn't. Yes, the straight is the big thing, but they just weren't able to to make it up enough. And when they did, they were burning tires, or they were. They, their setup wasn't perfect. Whatever it was that they just couldn't hang on. I thought there might be a bit of hanging on and getting on the straight, catching the infield. I think the Ducati is maybe still not the best bike in those Nagiri bits, but it's a lot better than it was. And the tyres worked really well. Put all that together, it wasn't just the straights, but obviously that's the big advantage they have. Maybe this one track... Portimao is one of the tracks that more than the other tracks we're going to go to that Alvaro might not have an advantage. But the other thing is, is obviously like we've got eight Yamas on the grid this weekend and you're kind of thinking that I th I'm with you, Gordo, that you kind of, something's going to have to happen to Alvaro f for the championship to swing. But at the same time, it could be at a place like this where you get a bad start and all of a sudden you're sat in seventh or eighth and you've got a whole heap of Yamaha people, all of who have got things to prove, you know, Gagne's got a point to prove. It's not Although I think it's looking ominous, I don't think it's it's far from over, like you said at the yeah, beginning. No, nothing's over, and this is World Superbike. I've been here before when we've had absolutely nailed on champions, not just Alvaro, but you go all the way back to 2002, that halfway through the season was done, and it wasn't done. It happens, you know, there's last-minute changes. Going into the last round in Sugo in what would have been 98, I guess, you know, the, the guy that ended up winning the championship was the least favourably placed. But because of what happened to his rivals, he ended up winning it. So we're not done and we've still got, you know, four rounds left to run. This is a preview show. We don't know what the results are from here. Um, well, let's just be clear. We're not actually sure what this is, whether it's a review or a preview. But um, I will say one thing about it is that when we look at what we've seen from Alvaro this year, he's been really impressive. He's only made one, one real mistake. But the turning point of the championship that we're all going to look back at is race one in Magni Corps because... Johnny has a crash chasing down Top Rack because he can't accept being beaten by Top Rack. He can understand Alvaro and a Ducati beating him because the perception in the paddock is that package has a big advantage. Just like Johnny and a Kawasaki had a big advantage a few years ago. He can't understand being beaten by anyone else because that's an affront to him as the best superbike rider on the planet. Alvaro you can kind of put a package Completely together. Agree, yeah. And I think that's where we've seen the season take a big turn because Top Rack's crash in Magni Core, Top Rack can say about the brake issue, there was a clear problem for him there, but Top Rack crashed and still remounted, scored points, was faster than anyone from when he remounted, so the bike wasn't too bad. He just had that, that one issue and he had this crash. And I think that's the turning point of the season. But when you look at it, it's very difficult to look at it and not think they need to do something to adjust 
Alvaro and Ducati because even though it's only Alvaro that's able to get a lot of these performances on the Ducati on a consistent basis it was only Johnny for years on a Kawasaki that pegged Kawasaki back Alvaro as it is I think Rinaldi's a, a very talented rider very hard working Bassani shown very well but there's also a reason why Alvaro was a factory rider from whenever he was 13 in the Spanish championship jumps into 125s as a factory rider 250s factory rider Suzuki Aprilia whoever you want to look at in MotoGP, there's a reason he gets those seats. It's because he's always been that talented rider. The other riders haven't been seen like that. So the perception could be he's a better rider than those riders. So he should be getting better results as well. He's got the experience. So I know technically that there's an algorithm that says whether they can adjust anything on the Ducati or any other bike for that matter. But they also, they're well aware of the fact that the the fight for the you know, the first half of the season has been amazing and has thrown an awful lot of light on the championship, which is good for everybody, right? They're well aware of that. And that the, the super concessions that we might talk about later on, they're in a bid to bring Honda and BMW into the championship because that's good for everybody. That makes the championship healthy. So my question to you is this, is if it was your decision, okay, to pull back a little bit of revs off Bautista, would you do that? For me, I think... Because the, the top, top Rack is still winning races. Yeah, Top Rack is still winning races, but the balance of the season is also very difficult to argue with. And I think that we know that Kawasaki developed an engine that had an extra 500 revs for the last season. So maybe you give them that 500 revs now, even if there isn't a new homologation, you, you do that to help Kawasaki. Because it's not so much just about that would give them top-end power, it would potentially save them a couple of gear shifts a lap, which is extra momentum that's cost for you all the way through the lap, all the way through a race. So that could make a big difference. Yamaha have been able to be very competitive with Top Rack. They've also been able to have... Gerloff showing off a lot through different stages of the weekend. Obviously, he was finally able to get back on the podium last time in Catalonia. But we know that the Yamaha is a good package, probably a better package than the Kawasaki. So Yamaha, do they need much help? Probably not. Maybe Yamaha would benefit from Ducati being pegged back a little bit, whereas Kawasaki also probably need to be making a step forward. Because as it is right now, if you're a rider looking for a contract in World Superbikes, where does the Kawasaki actually fit for you? Are you going to look at it and say, that's a better team to go to, a better bike to be on than BMW with a brand new bike next year, Honda with big improvements coming? You know, Kawasaki's down the pecking order. So maybe they need to make that step up with, with the regs and take well, the other one down. At the risk of adding two and two and coming up with five, isn't that... There was a lot of talk about Jonathan potentially signing for Ducati this year, yeah? There's, as, as always, but particularly this year, it looked like there might be something in that rumour. But so I sort of assume that there must be something in that Kawasaki have, you know, Kawasaki are having to attract Jonathan and keep him there. It's not like, you know, that's no done deal. They have to do something to make sure that he's, Jonathan ain't going to stay at Kawasaki if he doesn't think he's going to win the title next year. He will jump ship in a heartbeat to, if he doesn't think that that's going to be the case. So you would assume that Kawasaki have got plans to make that bike more competitive for next year. Well, I thought I'd to, and that was the problem they had before. They had they had a little magic scheme to to make the bike a bit better, but it wasn't deemed enough. Um, that the rights are wrongs of that. People are still talking about it now, but um, I think what you guys said earlier is is that all right? The, the problem we've got is that the Ducati, from the purely technical side, is too fast, and the Kawasaki is too slow. We know the Kawasaki can be faster if they give it more revs. The trouble is the Yamaha. How do you make top rank more competitive? Because the Yamaha's already got effectively the revs that they kind of wanted. Maybe they could make more, more use of 250 more revs, over rev gear changing exactly. But the trouble is that it, it, you're, to me you've got three 
If you're looking at it in pure performance terms, you've got three stages. One is the Ducati, which is built to be the race winning machine it is. The second one's the Yamaha, which has been developed into being the race winning package it is. But the Kawasaki as a base motorcycle is far older in every regard. The design of it, the especially the engine, they can make it rev faster, but they're being held back. So to me, if there was anything going to happen, it would be let people catch up rather than how many people, and bizarrely that's what Johnny said last weekend, uh, last time we raced, he said, why punish Ducati, just let other people come up a bit. And that brings us on to where we might be moving with the general rules in the future. I do think as well, the reason Johnny looks at it that way is Kawasaki has the potential to move forward. Yamaha, when you talk to people within the team, it is a big thing about they've pushed this bike forward to such a degree over the years. They probably just don't have the the engineering capability with that package to push it that much more. So while Johnny might say we should all be able to make that step up to Kawasaki, to Ducati, that's because Kawasaki has a step they can make. Maybe for Yamaha they don't, and that's where I think Kawasaki need to make their step up. I think Ducati need to take a step back. Yamaha stays roughly where they are. Then you've got a new BMW, a new Honda, or, well, this year's Honda continuing to be developed with the the super concessions and what they're going to be able to do in the future. And then you end up where all five manufacturers are quite competitive because, Charlie, we mentioned the super concessions a few times. The big reason behind them is all the manufacturers realize if they're competitive, they have more chance of selling motorbikes to customers. And that was the whole motivation behind the concessions. Well, I mean, it's they're quite hard to think it's quite hard to find that information. I mean, you're quite well informed, Steve, but I find it quite hard to find out information about what their plans are. But it seems that the manufacturers have all agreed that it's a good scheme to have all the manufacturers at the front. And that's definitely not the case at the moment. So, you know, Honda have clearly got something that they want to use that they're not being allowed to use at the moment, i.e. a new frame. It's you know, the frame that they've got at the moment doesn't have enough flex around the headstock from what I hear and they want to build in a bit more flex into it. They've got a new frame. They've tested it. It works really, really well. They're not allowed to use it. BMW also have chassis changes they want to make. So actually, it makes good sense that let's get these, let's give them what they need and bring them up. And the, the championship have always done that. You know, um, I remember the Honda being given ride by wire long before it was allowed to have ride by wire, that sort of stuff. I get that. At the same time, how far, you know, who's in charge of w- how much you can manipulate these things? Well, there's the perfect example of what World Superbike used to be like and what World Superbike is like now. The philosophy of how you balance the bikes has been turned into a rule book and an algorithm and another one. And this balancing and these concessions already, maximum revs, differential revs between manufacturers, we've got every aspect of, of design of these motorbikes, or should I say, the raceability of these bikes covered. What we don't have covered is the base machine that the thing's actually built around. And the biggest problem there has been in years and years and years in this championship, in any production-derived championship, is that the chassis are too stiff because they have to be sold as a product to go over potholes and, you know, survive a a small crash at 10 miles an hour and not bend the chassis in half. Race bikes don't have to worry about that. Um, and that's been the limit for people. Things are actually too stiff in a lot of planes. So, you, okay, you might need to stiffen the rear uh, swing arm to handle the extra power coming out of corners, but you only do it in one plane. And the other planes of that swing arm, people are making their swing arms softer, more flexible. Flexibility equals fail for the rider to an extent. When you're not allowed to take anything away from the chassis, which has been rule number one 
and water sewer bikes since 1988, then lots of people are in trouble. And it seems to be all the evidence points to the Honda are in so much trouble they can't do it. We, how many times have I said in these podcasts through the, this year that, you know, the Honda is a, f- a fifth or sixth position bike? Maybe they've come to the realisation that on the Pirellis, because of the way the tyres are, that they are a fifth or sixth position bike. And, and they won't, until they get a significant change in the chassis, what's always been the rule is that you, you can play with the engines and the power delivery and the transmission, but chassis has always been sacrosanct. You can't weaken the chassis of the World Superbike. And I think now, because of the performance of the bikes and the requirements of the riders to get the feel, which is what people have always complained about in the Honda, don't go fast, 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 and then fall off because you can't find the limit, that is down probably to the chassis mm. being too stiff. And it's not a problem that the Honda uniquely has, but other people can find a way around it. Maybe Honda, because the bike probably wasn't developed on those tyres from day one, uh, because of looking at Suzuka or real world riding or who they had a contract with for their road tyres, um, they've just run into a wall. So they have to now make the chassis. So that's breaking rule number one. However, what we're also doing is going right back to the beginning of performance equalisation. But we used to do it in a different way where it was all slightly nodding a wink and yeah, you can yes. have this and so on. Whereas now it's still done the done away the FIM way through regulation, through rules, through controls and strict limits that have to be proved to be required. I'm all for performance equalisation because a lot of people spend a lot of money here and if they can't even a chance of winning, then sooner or later What's some accountant's going to yeah. go, whoa, whoa, hold on, what are we doing here? Let's, let's get out. We do not want to enter a Suzuki situation here. Therefore, let people have what they need to but I do mean need, and I think the people in control understand what is needed. They're now, but they're going to do it through the rule book. They're going to do it through a controlled set of circumstances and not um, a nod and a wink. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's all fair points to make as well, Gordon. We're going to take a quick break in the podcast, and when we come back, we'll look at the overall health of the championship, where it stands right now, because after all that Gordo said there, it actually leads us into a pretty nice point after this. Renthal Street Ultralight Rear Sprockets are CNC machined from an advanced aluminum, keeping rotating unsprung mass to a minimum. The integral hard anodized finish has a higher resistance to mechanical wear, which increases its longevity. Available for a huge range of motorcycles with options for a number of teeth and chain pitch. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. And just to follow on from what Gordo was talking about at the end of point one, Charlie, you obviously work in the MotoGP paddock. Do I? And uh, well, you're present in the MotoGP paddock for quite a few rounds of the season. But when you look at how our championship here in World Superbike is now perceived in the Grand Prix paddock, it's a much more attractive paddock and opportunity for a lot of people than it had been, say, five years ago. And you can see that by the, the constant stream of Moto2 talent coming to Supersport in the hope of being on a Superbike. And when they look at riders they were up against three or four years ago, Locatelli's a factory Yamaha rider and a world champion now. Domi Agador is a world champion, could well be a double world champion. Baldessari's fighting for a world championship. Javi Vierge has come in and been really impressive at a few rounds this season. So they look at it and they say, do you know what? They're factory riders running at the front of the field, earning good wage. There's 12 rounds, 13 rounds potentially in the future compared to 21 rounds in MotoGP. 
this is a championship now that whether it's because of the way that the the balancing has been done for super bikes the super sport class now with lots of manufacturers this is an attractive paddock to come to yeah i think it is it is now but i don't think it's um i don't think it's because world Superbikes has done something to make that happen i think it's because of what's going on in moto gp that's happened and the fact that the way that the the system works there now and that you can go through you know you start in cv or civ early and by the time you're 19 you're in moto gp or 20 years old you're in moto gp but the downside of that is that and remy gardner is a really good example of this and we talked about this last week steve in fact it was you that told me this and i think this is a really good point is that remy's future was decided after about five rounds five goes on a motor gp bike so he's now hopped out so i don't think it's i think the world super championship is really healthy and going from strength to strength and definitely super sport is absolutely flying out because of that but i don't think it's a conscious decision that something that the championship has done here i think this is a consequence of the way the system is working in motor gp yeah without question they produce too many good riders it's designed to do that. The problem is, what do you do with them? Well, you can be, a, as Remy Gardner is a perfect example, world champion, moved up and then moved out straight away. There, there is always going to be, every rider there, even if he's been there for three years and feels he's established, is going to look over his shoulder and there's some 19-year-old kid from somewhere in Spain who's just going to come along and, and make a mess of him in two years. And then his career's over. The obvious place to come after that is here. They don't want to come here. But when they actually have a look at it, and I think the difference now is what Steve is driving at, the difference now is when they do look at it, they go, actually, you know what, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm going to have to go out here. There's a chance of me going out here. Okay, that, that's fine. But they still want to stay there. There's no question of that. So the question is for me, is not how well this cha- how exciting this championship is at the moment. The question is, is what's the negative effect that that has on domestic championships? Well, I think we're at a point now where a British superbike rider isn't that attractive a prospect to come to World Superbikes. We've seen that with the fact that it's realistically been since Alex Lowe's came eight years ago for a BSB top-tier rider to come into a good ride and do a good job in this championship. Jake Gagne racing this weekend in Portimao is going to be really interesting because he's here with his Moto America team running Pirelli tires and he's going to be able to give a really good account of where that team stacks up as well. And and speaking to Jake, he was really positive about the fact that this weekend was all about rewarding his team rather than him getting the opportunity to be back in Worlds. So at the risk of being controversial, is this a problem of BSB and other domestic championships in that they have to align their rules? Because the one thing we saw with Taz and Peter Hickman when they raced at Donington was they've got a mountain to climb because they're riding bikes that are so different. No? Well, I I do... In that case then... I do and don't agree... But at the end of the day, we're riding in the place that they ride two other times a year. So there's, there's always been a home advantage. How did Shaky Byrne win his two races at Brands Hatch all those years ago? Because he was on the same bike, but he was also on the right tyres at his home racetrack. He wouldn't have done that in Mizano or somewhere he didn't know very well. There's, you have to take those elements into account. There is too wide a gap in the technology between BSB and World Championship. Yes, there is. It, but it works the other way as well. Tom Sykes took until last weekend to win a BSB race, and Tom Sykes has, has been a world champion here and nearly a world champion two other times. But in OKs later in his career, he had a big crash last year, etc. But he has finally won a BSB race, but it took him all that time. So he had to go back and learn there. So your point is completely correct. There is too big a gap in technical terms between the two championships. The problem is now, world superbikes are totally affordable for a BSB championship to run, they need one good electronics person, but it's the manufacturers that are actually supplying the information to help people with electronics. If you want to move from national racing to here, 
you're going to have to get on with the electronics. That's it. It's not witchcraft. It's not something that only people here know. All that stuff is transferable. I don't see a situation whereby we're going to drop electronics yeah, because agree, half the manufacturers yeah. are going to just disappear. BMW will only run their electronics here. They've said it over and over again. There's one manufacturer out. So we've got a lot of controls in the electronics and so on. To me, there's no reason why you can't... Uh, it wouldn't make BSB any worse to run electronics. And they do run electronics. You say America, that. Not exactly the same situation. You say that. Electron electronics cost money. And, it, and, it's, and it's not a good time to be, to be introducing things. Electronics cost 10 that, grand and a guy that can drive it properly. That's it. Done. Just one question. But you're done. That's it. Do BSB care? Because um, BSB is thriving. You go there, bigger audiences than, you know, BSB is thriving. Do they care whether their riders I'm are going sure up in the don't. World Superbikes? I'm sure they don't. But they might if they don't start. The trouble is that the, 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 the show in BSB is fantastic. There is no question of that. They've done amazing things. Um, it's it, it's a great series. You can't argue with it. But it is in and of itself. Then they don't worry about anything else. The trouble is the outside world's looking at BSB now thinking, well, that Mackenzie turned up and maybe people expected more. Maybe it was unfair. He'd only just come back from injury. Peter Hickman is a TT specialist and an occasional winner and, and top guy in BSB, but he's not as if he's in the top four every week. Did he make the... I don't think he made the shootout this year, did he? I don't know if he... No. Right. So so there's the there's the situation. If you're happy with other people looking at you going, no, nah, you're all right, we'll go look somewhere else for the riders, that's fine. But I don't know if... It, maybe nobody in Britain cares and maybe it doesn't matter. But I would like to see this championship taking the best talents from all the domestic championships and bringing them here, however it's done. I have to say, the one thing about BSB that I always find interesting is the perception of how successful BSB is. And Gordo, you'll know this from 2015 when the two of us were, were working for MCN. You were doing the freelance work for them as a superbike, world superbike uh, correspondent. And there was more coverage given to BSB than there was to Worlds. And... There's a lot of reasons behind that, but one reason is BSB are terrific at driving their story, their narrative. Absolutely, Charlie, you work yeah. for Eurosport. The BSB coverage is second to none Absolutely, for yeah. that. And, and I think that when you look at the thriving audiences of BSB, it's also worth remembering that the longest journey anyone in the UK realistically has to any BSB round is a couple of hours drive. So you can go to all of the races in BSB the whole way through the season, get to be friends with you, Charlie, or Matt Roberts, or a couple of riders, this, that, and the other. There's a lot of people that you can get yourself connected with by just being in the right hotel and having a drink with them. And suddenly that could be a team, that could be a rider, that could be a mechanic, and you've got someone to follow. And then Friday night or Saturday morning, you drive to the race, you stay there Saturday night, a few beers, go to the race on Sunday and come home. It's a cheap weekend. It's 80 quid to stay in a Premier Inn and fuel in your car and a few drinks. So that's quite cheap and affordable, no matter where you are in the UK, realistically. And then you also have it where, how many classes are there in BSB? There must be eight, nine classes on a given weekend. So when you've got that many classes, like if you're racing charity, like you used to race club racing, you would have taken a few of your mates to each race. If you're doing that in a national championship, you might be taking 10 of your mates. A couple of them get to go on the grid, they get to meet xyz they think it's fantastic so therefore you've got eight or nine classes 30 riders in each class everyone's bringing 10 people that's 300 people per class there's three or four or five thousand people there without probably paying an entry fee 
and then it looks quite good around a racetrack because all the tracks are small. Silverstone's a good example of it as well, where they race on the short track. So when you look at the TV coverage, it all looks quite full. I don't, I, do you know what? I don't, I don't subscribe to that, actually. I'll tell you what, I've been to a few BSBs this year and the crowds are big. They are. The crowds they, are they, big. They I, I, don't, I don't deny that, but there's a reason why the crowds are big. And the big reason is it's cheap. It's easy it's cheap. to get. Exactly. To, it's cheap. And, and you get a load, you get a bucket load of entertainment. I completely agree. And that, sorry about in, but that is one kind of unique thing about Britain is that people are used to having 20 club races a day. You know, they, they want it. The more races you put on, the happier the hardcore fans are. It might not attract people from outside. Anybody who's gone for the first time said, is that not the third one of those races we've had today? Whatever. You know, but they, for the people who want to watch racing, there is always somebody watching a BSB or a club event. It's that mentality. That's maybe not completely uniquely British, but it is pretty hardcore. And why are they British? But we, but we know so that they're works, happy getting more and more classes. They want to see more and more classes. When you go to World Superbike, you see a couple of extra classes, and you didn't even see 300s this year. But people loved it. The thing is that, you know, Britain is a perfect litmus test for how is Superbike. Because we used to be Superbike Islands. And then that all kind of went away, the rise of MotoGP and Rossi and everything else. And all that affection for international racing went to Rossi and MotoGP. And it literally did strip everything out of Superbike. When they went four-stroke, all the engineers, look at all the guys and team managers and MotoGP now, most of them came from here. You know, it was a great big haul of people they took out and everything they took out, technology. And it went into MotoGP and they pushed on it really hard. So Britain fell in love with MotoGP and BSB and Superbike was out. But you look at, you had to fire anybody who went to Donington this year not to have had a good time, yeah. seen great racing, okay, and the weather helps in Britain, let's not forget. But the feeling I got was that Britain fell back in love with World of Superbikes because it's entertainment again. You know, when you're getting close BSB races, you want to see close World of Superbike races. Completely agree, but you've got to, then you've got to look at MotoGP, which actually is very expensive. You don't get any races on Saturday. You can't even see inside the paddock if you don't have a paddock pass. Do you know what I mean? It's very, very exclusive if you're not if you've not got the right pass. So, and they've also and, and obviously MotoGP now have accepted the fact that actually they do need to have another race on the Saturday and they you know sprint races next year. So, I think you look at all across all three formulas and there's stuff to be learned from all of them. Do you know and what they I mean? all have. We've nicked things from them. They've nicked things from us. They've nicked it. That this is a good idea, but as long as we don't all become the same product. I like the fact that BSB is a bit different. Yeah, me you know, too, yeah. I like the yeah. fact that, that you have to take a step up to World Superbike and you do whatever anybody else thinks the UK is a step up. The same way as a leap up to MotoGP from here. And only somebody like Johnny might have been able to do it. Unfortunately, he never went, so we don't know. But there's a few riders that could go to MotoGP and do well. Um, and we need, to me, we need to get national top national riders to come here as well as what we started off talking about, drawing from that pool of Moto2 and MotoGP riders to bring here and strengthen this paddock up. I want to see everybody, I want to see self-generated people who came through the 300s fighting guys that won the British Championship last year, but at 21, not at 27, and guys coming from MotoGP because there just aren't enough bums on seats. All those three people are extremely motivated groups. I, I think I find that fascinating about this championship already. What's missing now is the people coming from nationals. Or not enough people come from nationals. I don't think you're going to have many coming from nationals now. You Maybe know, not. like the way that I, I love going to BSB. I've always enjoyed working at it. I enjoy going to the races. It's a great atmosphere. The racing's good but you don't have riders coming through because the big thing is the talent cups are going to drive everyone to go down 
the junior GP route long term. So therefore, when you look at national super sport racing into the super bike classes, you're not getting that ultimate top talent feeding through anymore. Whereas 10 years ago, you were. I think now you're, you're at that tipping point in BSB where, you know, riders like Brad Ray that went down the Red Bull Rookies Cup, Rory Skinner, went down the Red Bull Rookies Cup, went down the Spanish Championship, all that kind of stuff. That's now starting to be less and less of what you're going to get in BSB. Are we not looking about this in an arse about face way? Probably, Charlie. We're not very good well, at like, this. Okay, so we've all, we're all old school and we've been around for a long time and people should go from the domestic championship up into the world championship. But actually we're seeing now in this championship that people, it's going the other way. The water is running the other way and riders yeah. are now coming back down into this championship. So is it should it not be going the other way now and BSB should be doing stuff to attract people from the world championship well, and world super sport like Tom Sykes? And actually, uh, I wonder what an effect Tom's, Tom not having a great season is doing for every for, for the for the championship in this paddock, yeah. If you're going to attract other riders from this paddock, because they're going to be people falling out of this paddock over the next couple of years in the same way as MotoGP. Well, there's been a few, you know. Giuliano went, um, you know. There's been a few that have come from here and went to BS. Giuliano did one session. free practice session. Yeah, yeah, that, but that's what I'm saying. But he mm. took the decision that no, okay, that's, that's where he was going to go. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Following me, failing me here. He was going to go and race there, wasn't he? And then he hurt himself. He was, yeah. And, you know, we've had other people doing it, but the trouble is it's such a different sport now. It's almost like road racing compared to World Championship because of the race tracks. Cadwell has got more relationship to, to the TT than it does to a, a, a short track. But I, I mean, think, seriously. I think yeah. when you look at the way the BSB is, it's... The tracks are what they are, which means that when we go to Donington Park last time out, you didn't have the helter-skelter action that we had at Olden Park or Cadwell or wherever else because the field opens up more. It allows the rider to come out more. Tom's at a track where he's had so much success in World Superbikes. Exactly. And, and he's able to then have that. But the gaps in Donington BSB were much bigger than what we saw anywhere else because that's what happens on Grand Prix-style tracks. I think now what we're getting is we're getting the best riders will go down the route of trying to get into the Grand Prix feeder classes, whether that's the Rookies Cup, Junior GP, whatever it is. And then the best of those will move into Moto3 World Championship. The rest of them will have to find somewhere to be. A lot of them are going to end up in super sport. We're used to this being the British paddock. All the top riders British here in the British National Anthem after every race. That's not the case anymore because we don't have that next generation of young British riders coming through. And that's where a lot of the academies, whether it's the British Talent Cup, Vision Track with Michael Laverty's team, Leon Haslam's team in, in, in Britain as well. All of those things are to help the next generation. There's almost like a missing link right now of the last 10 years for those riders to come from Britain to get to the world stage. Now is whenever they're correcting that. But that's going to be corrected to put Scott Ogden into Moto3 World Championship and then feed him up through the Grand Prix classes. Someone else will come in and do something else. Like Max Cook's a good example of it. Cook went from being a really good junior GP rider, broke his leg badly, had to go to National Stock 600 and is now gradually working his way back up the scene in Britain. But where does he go after that? That's the big question. Yeah, we've definitely broken a connection between national racing and here, unfortunately. Even Jake Gagne, here you go, there's Jake Gagne here for a weekend. He came here too young, not experienced enough, not winning enough. But he got the opportunity because it was a Honda, because of lots of things lined up when he came here. And it, it didn't really work out for him. It was a very tough year. It wasn't going to work out for anybody, I don't think. Um, but he would be a much different prospect now 
Um, you need, but it's a case of you if you want to bring riders here from domestic series, you're going to have to organise it. It's easy, not easy. It's straightforward to do because in the past it was straightforward because you were running the same bike as we're running here. You had the same possibility of winning. Um, there was budgets from outside to pay for it. This was all pre-global crash, and obviously certain sponsors no longer interested. Um, it's difficult to find sponsorship for motorsport. So we are looking at however we do it, it's going to have to be different from the way it was done before. But I still think it's, and certainly the FIM and all these guys that want to make a pathway, not just through the talent cups to go to MotoGP, because that will, I think, dilute us in the future. It'll just it'll lose the character of the championship. I want this paddock to be full of superbike riders with aspiring guys from domestic championship and guys coming over from MotoGP. But it would be easy, quite easy, to fill this whole paddock with ex-MotoGP guys because there's always an 18-year-old guy who's going to be just as good as a guy that's lost to MotoGP, but he's going to be a trained rider. I've talked about this before, and I have to mention it again. There is no better training for motorcycle racing than going through all the talent cups. They literally have people training those kids, filtering out the best ones, bringing them up, training them to the next level. Everything from PR to the riding side. And when you do that, you just create far too much talent. It would be quite easy to have no superbike riders here. They all started off in Motor, MotoGP or Moto2 or Moto3. Yeah, there's no guarantees with the talent cups because Top Rack was a Red Bull Rookies Cup rider and he was pushed aside. He's now one of the most in-demand riders around. Yes. You know, but that's also the exception. There's, a, there's so much now to be able to be found in those groups and all these teams... That's what they're looking because that's the easiest way to get money as well, having good riders. What people don't necessarily do is take the cream off the top of those talent cups. If you're the wrong nationality, the wrong advice, whatever it is, there's loads of people that haven't reached the world stage yet. They should have done by now. And, you know, Rory Skinner is screaming one out for me every time he seems to do a one-mate championship. He either wins it or he's right amongst it. And he's still not here. You know, so there's something wrong somewhere. You know, that, that guy needed to be here three years ago to, to want to be the next Jonathan. Everybody talks about how talented he is. There are other riders in the UK like him. I mean, it's not just him. But the that's the, the, the system, it, all those talent cups, if you're racing against everybody else and you win or second or third, you're a trick rider. But if you're not in the right face, you don't get the right manager, you don't get the right advice then you're not going to get to to the next level yeah i think for rory it's going to be interesting because it does look like he's going moto 2 next year and that's going to take him out of kawasaki in the uk and then he's a moto 2 rider which has always been what he's viewed as being his path but you've got someone like him that was almost went everywhere a year too early and he just couldn't quite hit his form at the right time and it always kind of put him a little bit into the wrong place whether it was the rookies cup CEV or then having to go British Talent Cup, British Supersport and now Superbikes. At least now he can get himself back onto the right path. Bradley Ray's the other example because Ray's had to spend a lot of time in the UK waiting to win a BSB championship and then maybe he comes here next year on a Yamaha. Maybe he has to wait as well. And the, I mean the other thing here is that unfortunately, and I've had more than one team manager in this championship say the same thing, no one's looking at BSB. For, for the riders anymore. It used to be an automatic thing like in Motor Grand Prix in the 500s, if you wanted to get a, a potential world champion, you go Australian or American. It was almost like a guarantee. If you had two or three Aussies, you'd have a world champion or a contender or certainly a race winner. If you had, if you you know, same with Americans, well, it used to be that people would look to Britain and go, well, if that guy's doing well in BSB, he's just going to come here and 
cut it, maybe you know, this year, maybe next year, whatever. And you, we could ream off all the names that have come here over the years. And, you know, Tommy Hill would have been a, a successful rider here. He just did two, three bad injuries at the wrong time and ended up, but he ended up winning BSB. You know, there was a whole glut of them. There just isn't that glut anymore. Nobody's sitting waiting for the next guy from BSB going, him, I want to have him. And that, whatever anybody else thinks, is not the fault of World Superbike. Um, whose fault it is, or whether people see it as a fault at all, is another matter. It's Steve's fault. It's Steve's fault. Aye, he's got to look about him, hasn't he? he Fair enough. I've, I've got to look on me just because it's time to take an ad break before I have to answer calls like that. So we're going to take a break and then I'll be able to come up with something to say. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. We've got a Rent All Street Sessions interview with Top Rack Rise Oglu coming on. And we've talked a bit about domestic riders. We've also got Jake Gagne on our Portimao review show because I, I sat down with Jake for 10 minutes earlier on today just to do an interview for the podcast. Coming here to Portimao, Gagne is a really interesting one. That does lead us on nicely from our discussion about national superbike riders because Gagne has been up against Danilo Petrucci, a very known quantity, someone that's won two Grand Prix, big name rider. Gagne came out on top for the season. Charlie, what do you think about his prospects for this weekend? Because you talked to Jake as well so far this weekend. Yeah, I've had a few long chats with him, actually. I like Jake. I have to say he's a good guy. And he's, um, I mean, look, it, it, he, like Gordo said, he didn't have a great shot when he came here the first time, quite young. Things happened. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah, so stuff. So one of my questions to him was, you know, you feel like you come here with a bit of unfinished business? And he was like, hell yeah, I <laughs> have, yeah. So, but, but it's going to be good because... You know, he's brought his own bike. It's like, this is the thing that we've been sort of chatting about off, you know, this morning over coffee is, you know, why why is it that our wildcards, Taz and Peter Hickman, have such a mountain to climb when they get their wildcard rides? Whereas Gagne can come over here pretty much, you know, where do we think Gagne's going to finish? I know we sort of came to the conclusion that if he can get anywhere near the top 10 or even into the top 10, amazing. He'll have done a fantastic job. He could also be running around outside the points, right? We don't know that until after FP1 at least. So, but I think he's got a much better chance of having a decent result and shining a little bit than our guys ever did because our guys are riding, are riding completely different motorcycles. So their free practice sessions, it was cold, it was wet, you know, there's a litany, there's a load of reasons why our guys had it much, much harder. And that's annoying to me. I think uh, there's also relatively free electronics in America, yes? In America, they use the same electronics as what we have here in Superbikes, but for the attack team this weekend, they will use the same electronic package, but it'll be a different version of it as well. I think there's there's changes to that. It's just not quite as advanced in the US, or as open in the US. The freedom for Superbike race in America is closer to this than it is in BSB, or in, and I'm sure Australian and other championships. I know they are. I mean, all those domestic championships have deliberately went super stock. Yeah, and in Moto America, they did announce rules this week that they're going to move away from stock transmissions as well to make it a full world SBK spec. They're going to have second bikes built in the garage next year. So if you have a crash, you can jump straight back out on it. So they're making big steps to make it where it's more accessible for their riders to come across and do different things. And the cost thing, which was a big deal 10, 12 years ago, was a really big deal. Now, 
we're seeing that that's if you're taking this seriously, building the bike is not actually the big problem because everything is cost limited. You're either running stock stuff or you're running stuff that you can buy from the manufacturer and they have to supply it within a certain time frame for a set price is literally in a maximum price in this championship. So this, I've heard some people in BSB say to me, quite straight-facedly, oh, it's quarter million quid to build a World Superbike now. Yeah, it's but hold on. You know, it's you know, just not. It's not quarter million quid. Well, isn't that one you, of the things that was sort of going wrong is that, okay, so you build a person builds a swing arm for a manufacturer in this paddock and they have to sell it at a price yeah. to a team. But that doesn't mean they can't sell it to the other domestic championships at a much inflated price. Maybe Yes, and maybe that's the way forward. Maybe they say, okay, we well, have to unify that to, to down to all the championships or over to all the other championships, should I say, not down. That, that's how you advance things. Okay, somebody's taking a loss on that, but if they're selling 20 things and, it, and the big things with the design cost from a factory team footing the bill, remember they can spend as much money as they like on the design of it in conjunction with the supplier. But in terms of you buying Charlie Superbike Racing or Gordon Superbike Racing or Steve Superbike Racing, we're all paying 10 grand for the electronics. We're Steve all, can't ride a bike. What, it's not going to be Steve's Steve, racing. Steve Superbike Racing would have an unbelievable yeah, hospitality. I've been on a go-kart track great, with him and it ain't pretty. There's no option. way two wheels is not for him. No way. Can you imagine uh, the barbecues in his hospitality though? They'd be awesome. I know, man. it'd be like being back be in the awesome, old days man. of Altea whenever they were all, all big. With, with, I, with I'll just <laughs> say one positive thing and that's that when you look at this, this this debate that we're having about it, it'd be really interesting to talk to Stuart and find out what his how he how he sees the future for BSB. But one of the things that I think is a really positive step is Scott Smart and Stuart in that Scott Smart, who obviously is very involved in the rules and the rulemaking yes. in the FIM here, he's also involved in the rulemaking in AMA. He's also involved in, you know, very close to Stuart in the BSB. So actually, when whatever those Stuart and Scott are thinking about, they are the people that can make it happen. So that to me is whatever Stuart thinks or however they see that championship going in the future and whether they think whether they think that it needs unifying and whether wild cards are important to them or whatever, you've got the two right people in the right place to make those changes. I've always thought what I would love to see is for World Superbikes to almost take a step down with their electronics so that BSB can take a step up. And then Stuart, because obviously for Stuart, his big thing is BSB and how great that championship is. He gets a win by saying, oh, well, we've made them make a step back towards us and we get a unified regulations and then everyone makes that step up. And then I think that'd be quite good from BSB. I think would level things up. It's got to be good for BSB. Going back to my crazy idea about the water flowing the wrong way and actually people potentially dropping out of this championship and having nowhere to go. Because if Supersport's so hot and World Superbikes is really hot and actually, you know, if you're coming to the end of your career a la Tom Sykes, you know, if, if BSB could be more attractive and slightly more unified in that way, then that might be really good for BSB and that it would be much more attractive proposition for certain riders to come out of this championship back into... BSB. I, I think for me, one of the biggest things that would need to change with that is the tracks that they go to for BSB. They've just bought Navarra. MSV yeah. Group has just bought Navarra. We raced there in the World Championship last yep. year. Needs a little bit of work, but overall, Great that track, track. is, is yeah, better superb. than yeah, anything BSB goes yep. to. BSB needs to go back to Aston. Obviously, Brexit makes that difficult, but they need to go to... There's two Grand Prix-style tracks. You could take off two tracks in the calendar that 
at the end of the day, you can take your pick of a lot of British tracks. Are they too outdated for superbikes? There was talk years ago about bringing it here as well. In Portimao. Port there mm. was, th- there's been a lot of talk about then, going to different places. Then you're not maybe, British superbikes anymore, are you? Well, but you're, yeah, like the German, German Touring Cars Championship always oh, went I'm, to Italy and France. You just and spent ages telling us about how brilliant BSP was because you can drive to it in two hours and it costs you, and it's cheap when you get there and you can camp out for nothing. Oh. And now you're telling us they need to go to oh. Navarro. Mate, you flip your mind up, will you? Yeah, but I don't, Who side are you on? I don't care about the fans. You I don't care in the wind, clearly, you're Charlie. blowing in the wind, mate. I don't honestly. care about the fans, clearly. I just want a successful riders' championship. For me, no. The thing for me is, if Brexit, if Brexit has meant that BSB can't go to Assen, can't go to some of the faraway places in Europe, maybe owning Navarro gets them around some of the carnies, and then suddenly they're able to do something to have some. How does it get race. around carnies owning Navarro? Uh, well, I, I don't know anything about the re- the regulations things like that, yeah. but they can easily potentially have something where there's a base for British operations. How's, uh, how's Mondello looking these days? Uh, well, the big talk was to go to Kirkistan. Really? Yeah. And, uh, well, I'd love to see the sunflower turn into a BSB meeting. You, 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 you need to get Stuart on this. No, look, Stuart runs a brilliant championship and he's got a remit from the people who own it and obviously he's got his own interest in it and they're doing a great job of it. But if I was him, I'll, part of me would be thinking, well, you know what? We're running a well-run, well-respected, make money for the owners, fans love it, championship. Why do I need to change anything? To me, British racing needs to get people back on the path to come from there to here. Not because of some sentimental reason, but because it, otherwise you will reduce the status and the... The, you the, you the, can have to get rid of Gordo. He, he talks way too much sense. Can't you get someone else in who talks a bit of rubbish? Well, we brought you in, Charlie, for that task, and it's worked out fairly well. You need to speak to my wife, Charlie. She doesn't think I speak a single word of sense. You need to speak to my wife. Right, that's about, that's You've about... spoken a lot of sense today, Gordo, Thanks, to be fair. Mate. You that's really great. have. I had no you idea I was doing so at the time. That's my disclaimer. I had no idea I was talking any sense oh, I'm dead impressed. I've actually learned a few Dear things me. off you today, Gordo. Thank God almighty. Yeah, Gordo, you talk sensible about motorcycle racing. Maybe that's what the issue is back at home for. But uh, yeah, you know, you just need to spend the time talking about racing. Not like for for me, like I look at it and I think BSB is a great championship. Higgsy does a great job, but I do think that one of the big things is what happens in the future. For where are we getting the next British riders to go on to the world championship stage? And that's what's the interesting thing when you talk to teams here in, in the paddock. You mentioned about Taz coming in as his wild card at Donington Park. The perception was. Teams didn't care that, that he had come back from a bad injury because he won in BSB the next week. So he was fit enough to win in BSB. He didn't perform to the level they expected whenever he arrived here. There's a lot of reasons behind that. But like anything else, people don't remember that three months later. They remember the scorecards that came out and it was that it wasn't quite what they expected. And that's not good for anyone because everyone knows how good a rider Taz is. Everyone knows that there's huge talent in the UK but for whatever reason, it's not getting the chance to shine on the world stage. And then that becomes a cycle that continues. And then to find the next Jonathan Ray, the next Cal Crutchlow, Cammy or Davis, whoever you're looking for, becomes more and more difficult. Well, but doesn't that then work in BSB's favour? Well, that's Because the, then they keep their good riders. The that's part well, of the problem, though, isn't because it? Because then BSB looks at it that they're getting bigger and bigger, more successful. Yeah, you can see it's hard, it's hard for Stuart. If you get a, a new up-and-coming rider who everybody's talking about, from a business side of things, you want to keep him. That makes perfectly sense where you get a big yes, name star. but what you're doing by doing that is keeping the competition at the same level. Why is World Superbike tougher? Who's the, what's the guy we started talking about, the little guy in red? And what's he done finally after four years? He's now... Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, yeah. Little Red Riding, bye-bye. 
Um, he's he has now done what he said he was going to do in the first year, which is raise the level in conjunction with the bike and everything else. But a few other people have been on that bike and not made done what he's done with it. So he's now changed the parameters here that people like Johnny, who's won six championships, and Top Rack has won one. And Yamaha have lifted the game to be world champions and Kawasaki have lifted the game to be seven times world, seven times world champions at that bike with Tom before Jonathan. Um, and then he's lifted it again. When you don't let your best riders out, or not don't let, when they don't get to go out for whatever reason it is, then you don't know what the level is. And you don't know what the... Everybody all needs to beat that guy over there. There's no there's no sudden, well, oh, I've got to beat that guy. You know, coming in anymore. Look at Lavia. Lavia turned up BSB. And done everybody. Bayless did it after in his second year. Just turned up eighth one year, won it the next year. You need new blood. You need new talent. The big thing with BSB is that there's no shaky burn now. If you were able to beat, if you were able to beat Shaky, you deserve your chance at the World Championship. If you couldn't, you weren't going to get that. And all respect to to Shane, who did the unbelievable things in BSB. He wasn't a world champion in, in in. World Superbike or MotoGP or anything else. He was a really good rider and everybody recognises that. And he, with better opportunities at different times, he would have done even more. We all understand how good he is. But that was the level. In the past, Neil McKenzie came from all those years of 500 Grand Prix racing and went back to BSB in a field that, you know, really was world class all the way through from Terry Reimer and Jamie Whittam and everybody mm. else. That he had to beat Steve Hislop, he had to beat all those guys every week, and he won three world champ, uh, three British championships when he came back from from MotoGP, um, or what five hundreds as it was then. You know that's moving the game on. Everybody else had to. Oh right, there's a new thing we have to try and beat now, and that's good. What you know, we have seen riders come from here and go back to BSB. Some successful, some not. You know, I mean, Leon went back and won the championship. The second time going back, he won the championship, didn't he? Then he came back here again. So you need that cross-fertilisation. So keeping people in the UK and them not coming here is not going to be any good for for BSB in the long run, its status and everything else. Whether that matters to the people who own it and run it and the British fans, I don't know. But if I was a British fan, I would be wanting to see people winning in BSB and then doing what Hudson and Walker and all those guys did when they got a chance, Crutchlow, you know, showing up the factory guys, guys that were regular podiums finishing the sixth and seventh. How many times have you seen that at Donington and, and Silverstone and Brad's Hatch? It used to be a regular occurrence. That is the only thing that's missing when you go to somewhere like Donington now. The great Donington this year, what was missing? Somebody fighting for a top five. It's a BSB rider. The crowd yeah. would have went mad. Can you imagine what they'd been like? It was already crazy. Mm. I, I always think it's really important when the undercard gets the chance to shine on the big stage. This is the 300 Paddock Pass podcast and World Superbikes has taken centre stage. And I think uh, that's why it's really important to be able to have a big Rental Street Sessions interview as well. And we've got the reigning World Superbike champion, Top Rack Razgadioglu on the show. So we're going to cut to the Top Rack interview. But uh, before we do, Charlie, thanks for joining us. Obviously, we'll be back after Portimao as well. Post-podcast. We will do a review pod for Portimao because we shouldn't have any uh, scheduling issues Cannot wait. to get ourselves ready. Gordo, as ever, thanks for joining us on the pod. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure, mate. And as ever, a big thank you to Renthal Street and also to Fly Racing for supporting all of us on the podcast and to everyone that supports us on Patreon as well. Patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass Podcast. We've got 
got a lot of World Superbike interviews up there as well. We've got Jake Gagne, Michael Rubin, Rinaldi, and uh, the Top Rack interviews been up there as well before this show's come out. So if you want to get all those interviews before they come on the pod, check out Paddock Pass Podcast on Patreon.com. Top Rack, Razgadi Ogli joining us on Rent All Street Sessions interview and Top Rack, just want to go right back to the start of your motorcycling career because we see so many riders now come through the Asia Talent Cup, the Junior Grand Prix, you know, Super Sport 300. Your, your background is very unique. It was as a stunt rider. Yeah, but uh, you know, my life a little bit difficult because uh, my father, uh, uh, very famous in Turkey, but he's uh, after the die, but uh, he's a uh, uh, stunt rider. And first, uh, mo- my motorcycle life start. Uh, I'm a stunt, ri- stunt rider. And uh, first, I learning the wheelie. And uh, but I'm very lucky because now you know, after the race, uh, I I I did uh, the stoppy. You know, this is uh, now uh, my uh, signature. But for me, very easy because I learning uh, eight years old this uh, the stoppy, and uh, I'm very happy, very lucky for this. And for you, when you were eight years old, how much enjoyment did you get out of riding a bike? Was it because your dad did it, or did you love it straight away? Yeah, but first I start uh, riding the bike uh, Yamaha PV50, and uh, for me, it's an incredible day because. Uh, I like it, the bike because my father rides the bike. I am always uh, see him, and also uh, in the city, always we uh, uh, my my father ride the bike in the city. I am always uh, sit uh, full tank, and he riding. I am always uh, sit uh, full tank, and uh, also he ride. Uh, we go always uh, together, and. And I see all every day the bike, and I start a PV50. And uh, first I start uh, just normal riding, and after I uh, I see the my father video, and and also I am watching him, and I start uh, try stoppy and wheelie. Okay, with uh, PV50 not easy stoppy, but uh, also wheelie. Uh, I'm just trying, you know. I'm just uh, maybe seven years, six years old, just uh, trying. And after, I ride the uh, Yamaha PV80. This is a uh, three gear and more power. But uh, first wheelie with uh, this bike. Also, I have a picture and with the PV80. And uh, not possible stoppy because very heavy bike and also the front brake uh, not too strong. And just I learning uh, the wheelie. And for me, it's an incredible day. When, <coughs> when we saw you in Red Bull Rookies, there was a lot of times down pit lane you would do a handstand, a cartwheel. You know, there was always something that would make people pay attention to you. Was this something you always wanted or was it just the way that things happened? Normally my rookies cup, you know, uh, 2011 and 12, I go to Germany for R6, R6 cup, Yamaha R6 cup. And uh, after 2012, uh, I don't have a more way for the motorcycle and I go to the Rookies Cup selection and then after I start 2013 and 14 riding a Rookies Cup and uh, 2014 again 
I don't have a more way uh, for the motorcycle. It's cannon take me. We go to the Superbike paddock, 2014, last race, uh, France, Magnicourt, Stock 600. First time I ride a uh, 600 bike in Magnicourt, and also for me first time in uh, this track. And uh, my first race, I'm win. Last uh, two laps, a uh, little bit strange. And uh, because uh, the one rider crash, also, you know, the corner five, uh, always uh, difficult. And uh, I think my career start 2014, last race in Magnicourt. Obviously with Keenan, he became your your mentor, your coach. But when you look at him with Chan, Dennis, Batten, is it is it is it different with you, or is it everyone is treated the same? And I'm looking just uh, the racing side because for stone side, okay, I'm I'm very good at stone, you know, stoppy and wheelie for me is very easy. But uh, for racing side, uh, these uh, boys are very uh, lucky because now 19 years old and still very fast. We are training together and we are fighting. Sometimes uh, these boys are winning, sometimes I winning, but uh, very funny training. And uh, these boys very, very lucky because also the cannon helping like uh, before with me and uh, and also we are together training and this is very important just uh, these boys need uh, some uh, good races you know and uh, and after i think uh, i think john dennis and Bartin looks uh, very talented what's what's the most important thing the talent or the hard work I don't know, for me very important for the talents, the character and okay, he rides fast, but he don't have a good character. This is not important, my idea. I'm always, for me, for me very important, first the character and after the is good riding and uh, like this. This is my idea. But I think better we ask uh, these questions, Kenan. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, Top Rack, as well, on the track, we always see so many battles, bar to bar, right beside each other, whether it is with Johnny and Alvaro at the front or in the past when you were on the Pichetti up against riders fighting through the field. Everyone always said the same thing about you, that you will, you will come through a gap and leave just enough but you will always leave just enough so they know what to expect. You know, uh, you start the fighting. I am not uh, feeling stress, not uh, pressure, because uh, I am always waiting for a good uh, time. And you remember maybe 2021, Magnicur, the Super Bowl race. You know, Johnny passed me. I passed him last corner. But normally after Shigen, I am very easy to pass him. But I am not try because he know he's uh, uh, he's waiting also but normally he's not waiting last corner i try to pass him last corner because uh, you don't need the stress you don't need the pressure just you need a good thinking and uh, i i i'm why good fighting for this because also this year uh, check the most race and uh, Super Bowl race again with Johnny is good fighting. 
I see him, he's fast because my tire is a, is a big drop. Last lap, I'm not fast, just I feeling spinning. And, and also he's always past me, you know, the, the, the under bridge. Yeah. I don't know now. Uh, I think they turn 11, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think. And I feeling I am very slow this corner. I try the first braking, the middle. Not inside, not uh, the normal uh, uh, race line. I try just the middle braking because I'm not fast. I'm just try uh, uh, good uh, the line. But Johnny did a small mistake. He's, I think, not waiting this, and he's go wide. You know, sometimes uh, you're riding, also you need the thinking in in the race. Is this where Keenan's car track and all of the the riding that you do as a group pays off? Yeah, you know, then the Canon track very small, and uh, we are training also together, and. Uh, we are always uh, the training race, not uh, normal training. Maybe five laps, ten laps, but we are always uh, the race uh, five laps because uh, not many laps and also just two, three laps uh, thinking. And uh, last laps also unbelievable fighting. And also we are learning because same riding, you know, last lap, maybe he is fast. We use a little bit inside line, and uh, and also we are learning. I think, and good helping you can on track. Yeah, and just you mentioned about the last lap against Johnny, whether Magni Core to make the move. This year we saw the last lap against Bautista and Estoril, and you come out of the last corner and you shake your head, and you know what what is coming. The, uh, the problem the bike, because Ducati very fast. Maybe Ducati not uh, the fast in a straight. He is not possible to pass me, you know. But uh, I'm very good uh, the fighting for last lap. But uh, the problem, you know, the straight. I'm not uh, possible uh, try more because in the straight, you know, my bike power. I know the Ducati power is uh, different. This is one of the things that makes superbikes very interesting right now. Because the Kawasaki, the Ducati, and the Yamaha all are so different. Exactly. But the, the lap time can be the same. Exactly. But for you as a rider, you need to maximize your bike in one area, Bautista in another, Johnny in another. And this makes for, for us from the, from the outside very maybe, interesting. Maybe, you racing. know, I am sometimes thinking uh, this. Maybe I ride the Ducati, maybe I ride the Kawasaki. Maybe we are the world champion. Today, you know, I'm very famous, but uh, I think I ride a Yamaha and we are a world champion for this. But Kawasaki always, uh, you know, six time world champion and Ducati also fast bike. Everybody say that this is fast bike. He is also fast. You know, I think it's a Yamaha, not a really fast bike, but we are a world champion with this bike. And okay, in this season we are improving. This is important. But why now I am top rack with the Yamaha, I think. Your, your crew chief, Phil Marin, has been a big influence on you. You have Keenan, obviously, for the last 10, 15 years helping yeah. you. Phil, in the last three or four years, really seems to have helped you to, to grow into yourself. He's uh, first, he's always trust me. And uh, this is very important. And also, I'm very enjoying uh, working with him. And uh, especially, his, uh, the language difficult. 
but uh, we are talking with him is no problem because he's uh, speak with me very slow and I understand him and uh, but first we start with him uh, working 2019 and also for me is a very good year because uh, 2019 I'm start uh, many uh, podium and my first win with the Kawasaki Puchetti and after we are coming Yamaha together I'm very happy I'm working with him and uh, because he's a very good guy and uh, also he's uh, really working and because not always we are happy okay last year is a very good year for me because uh, every track we are not to touch the bike just a small changing I don't need a more setup but this year is a little bit difficult and this year we are work uh, a lot every uh, day night we are uh, try improve the bike and his incredible job not just Phil uh, 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 also the team but uh, the Phil is very good, very good guy just one thing before we finish as well Toprak you are a very unique rider for how you became a rider but also when you say you are very happy in superbikes when there was all the talk of MotoGP you always said this is a championship that feels like home for you is, is MotoGP something that you will be interested in or are you happy here? Now I like it uh, Superbike Paddock because uh, I, I enter the Superbike Paddock, I feeling like a home. And, uh, but okay, the MotoGP is, a, is a difficult. I know difficult Paddock. I remember 2013 and 14. And, uh, but the problem, everybody write why you don't go MotoGP. But this is not easy. I try the stoppy video. I see why you don't go MotoGP. Okay, everybody try stoppy. You're right. Why you don't go MotoGP? This is uh, not true, you know. And uh, the mot for MotoGP, you need a good bike. You need a good team. And uh, and also, you know, uh, we will see the future. Now I'm not possible to say because next year also I am here. And also I'm very happy in the mot Superbike paddock. And MotoGP very difficult. I'm... Sometimes, you know, i watching, especially Aragon race, i watching, and difficult, you know, MotoGP. You need uh, more adapt, you need the time, because uh, after Superbike is difficult bike, you know, by riding uh, GP bike in Aragon. And uh, maybe you need to change uh, your style. I'm not possible to change my style because I like uh, a little bit aggressive bike. And, you know, we will see the future. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. How do I stop this then? The red button? Is that the best? The big red button. Does that stop the recording as well as that? That'll be it stopping it. Well, I presume so. Or is there a stop button?